Welcome on into the Bench Captains Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dave Sanford. Your boy, Mick Chestnut, is also here. And we have a special guest, Hayden Dotson. How are we doing, Hayden? I'm doing good, guys. Appreciate you having me on. I'm fired up to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Noah, actually, due to injury, he got called to the starting lineup. So he's going to be <laughs> out for the first and second quarter. <laughs> So stay tuned. Noah will be with us for the third quarter and garbage time. But for right now, Dave and I are holding down the fort with our boy, H. So H, sure. H a little question for you, just so people get to know you. What, what's, your, what's your real sports, um, I guess, just experience? That's a good question, man. Um, I feel like sports has always been a huge part of my life ever since I remember my furthest memory going back. My dad coaching me growing up. Um, so much so that I wanted to pursue a career in it. So uh, I was fortunate enough to play college basketball for uh, four years at Malone and then um, knew that I wanted to still have sports be that motor for me. So coming out of college, I was able to, to get a job with the Miami Dolphins and, and help them sell tickets down there. And now I uh, got promoted up to uh, management. So I'm in a leadership role over in the front office with the Detroit Red Wings. Um, similar ticket path, but now I get to oversee a team of incredible people and do more of a, of a coaching and, and give back mindset than I do for, you know, selling myself. But uh, the, the biggest thing for me has always been giving back just the same way that I've received uh, my entire life. So I love what I do. And the fact that I get to continue to have sports be a part of my life, man, super blessed. Yeah. And before we continue to dive in, just a quick question off that being in sales, marketing, things like that. Do you have any insight on like what this season is going to look like, like for teams losing money? Um, just not being able to have fans. What's that going to look like? Team salary cap, even potentially going forward. Like, do you see that at all in any way where you work? It's a good question. Uh, a little bit above my pay grade. I wish I was in there carving up the contracts with the big dogs, but yeah. uh, no, I can't speak to the revenue loss though. Like, I know across the board, doesn't matter what league you're you're talking about, whether you can have partial fans or whether you can't. Obviously, it's nice if you can't have partial fans. But the most interesting topic, actually, to me, Nick, has been the fact that like. In a normal situation, right, the commissioner or the president of the league, I feel like, is the one who mandates most of the rules. Whereas, like, now each team is almost tied specifically to their local government, right? Mm -hmm. So for us here in Michigan, we're under an absolutely no fans type of scenario. Whereas you look at states like Florida, um, and I think Tampa Bay is where they're hosting the Super Bowl this year, right? Like, they're game planning for X amount of percentage of fans, and some are even hosting at the current moment. But yeah, man, revenue losses fell across the in the entirety of the board. Um, I've had some un, unfortunate uh, situations with a lot of my friends who've lost their jobs in the industry. So um, hoping that we can get some sort of healing hand of the Lord over this COVID situation soon and get back in, and hearing the cheering voices in the stands again, man. I think the world needs it uh, just as much as they do this vaccine. There's just something about spending that time, making those memories, um, screaming your head off at a win or a loss. It doesn't really matter. It's all about the experience, you know? Facts. And especially, uh, you know, whether there's the virus or no virus, there, there's not going to be many fans in Jacksonville anyways. Uh, I feel like that fan base has given up on that team. So that'll be fun for Cleveland on Sunday. It'll be a normal home game for the Jaguars at least. So, uh, Ace, I have a quick question for you too. Uh, as far as this podcast is concerned, we are called the Bench Captains. Uh, last week or last episode, I shared my Bench Captain story. And pretty much I had a teacher, not the head coach, not an assistant coach, a teacher pull me and one of my best friends in, into his office my senior year. And they pretty much said, hey, we want you guys to be the energy guys, the bench captains of our team. And that was a moment where we were both decided to walk out of the room and just not have a good attitude about it. And we laugh about it all the time now. But do you have a bench captain story that would – uh you would say is, yep, that was my moment where I realized that maybe I don't have a career as a athlete in the professionals or <laughs> high rank <laughs> college. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I think um, first off, when, when you guys were coming out with this podcast and I recognized the title, I felt like I connected with it right away, actually, because 
most of my life, I feel like I've been looked at as that bench captain, maybe not necessarily all the time because of like the talent level, but more so um, I think some of those guys are the glue that holds the team together. Like some of the, the people that pop into my head are like Udonis Haslam with the heat, right? You hear all the time about how from the bench, from the locker room, he like is the heart and soul of that team. I don't know about heart and soul, but back when I was at Malone, one of the responsibilities that I had was uh, I got to be the manager for four years as well as I did play. And um, it was all the behind the scenes stuff, right? The dirty laundry, the making sure the the uniforms were laid out, making sure we had the water for the bus trips and all of that stuff that um, at the time I was probably moaning and groaning about it, but looking back and I've even had some of the guys tell me, you know, they're super appreciative of the stuff that I was able to bring to the table. And then I always prided myself on the kicks and the bow tie and the potential sweater vest that I would wear every matchup. And um, it was fun to see like the fans look out just as much for that as they did Seagraves knocking down a three pointer or um, Isaiah Elliott back in the day, crossing somebody up and maybe dunking on him. So um, I've always felt like that bench captain role has suited me, man. I don't mind waiting in the wings um, as long as the team recognizes the importance of the position um, I'm going to pour my, my heart and my soul into all that stuff too, just like anybody else I feel like who has that title would. I love it. And as bench captains, we're smart. We understand the game. We're just not good enough to play, so we talk yeah. about it. Let's get <laughs> exactly. to it. Quarter one, <laughs> we're coming at you with AFC. We're going to talk about some powerhouses, and that will trickle down into the wild car races. So, Dave, obviously I think when we look at this, two powerhouses jump out of mind, Steelers, Chiefs. When you look at the power rankings all across the board, pretty much one and two, unanimous, Chiefs, Steelers right now. So to you, who would be the AFC powerhouse? Uh, right now, it, to me, it's pretty clear. I still think it's the Kansas City Chiefs, despite their one loss. Hmm. Uh, how you beat the Kansas City Chiefs is you have to be able to get pressure with four guys, which Pittsburgh does. You have to be able to drop in the zone coverage, which Pittsburgh does. The, the thing that Pittsburgh does not do well is I don't think they run the football efficiently. And teams like Oakland, and we're going to get into some of these other teams that run the football a very high clip, a very efficient clip. I don't, the Steelers don't do that. And, and, you know, with the health issues of Ben Roethlisberger, yeah, I know he's had a couple of nice games. I mean, whoop-de-doo, you carved up the Bengals. So did Baker Mayfield twice. So you can make those those statements about Ben, but – when push comes to shove, is he going to be able to win a shootout with Patrick Mahomes? And to me, until you beat the defending champs who are dominant at all three phases, that's right, special teams, they are a force too. Uh, it, unless you get to the point where you can beat the Chiefs, they are still the alphas in the AFC. Okay, see, I'm going to take the approach here, though, uh, of like you said, though, with that defense, um, with Watt, Dupree, Hayward, too, getting to rush just four. Like, like you saw that with Vegas, like that's the key of four. And then having those cover guys being able to cover, throw up, throw up different coverages and everything. And, and when I look at it in the offense, how you say not being able to run though, I think they run. So it's going to sound crazy. I think they run with how they pass, like with those short passes. I mean, even just watching them, especially against the Browns, heavy RPO stuff against us, but just having like, look at, look at their, it's not even a trio. They have four, like with, Johnson, Juju, um, Claypool, <laughs> just their receiving core. Um, and, mm. and James Conner looks a little he, – he doesn't look quite like himself yet this year, but I, I think the capability to run can be there. But I think they open that up tremendously with how they run, how effective Ben has looked, even just in the shorter passing game, just to keep – like you said, the purpose of the run, keep the clock going. But then they can also hit you deep as well. I think the difference between Chiefs offense versus Steelers defense – and then Steelers offense versus Chiefs defense. I think um, the difference is greater there between the Chiefs off or the Steelers offense, Chiefs defense to give just the slight advantage to the Steelers. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I think I would agree with you guys. It's it's definitely Chiefs Steelers, Steelers Chiefs like that one two in some scenario. But one thing that that pops out to me that um, just as something that's a little bit different is I think when when it comes to the the playoffs specifically in football, right, like two things one who's hosting and two what kind of momentum do you have from the regular season leading into the playoffs and and for me right now in the current moment if the playoffs started today I think the Tennessee Titans would be a really really tough team to stop now reason being mm -hmm. 
in a cold weather situation. So I'm talking maybe you're playing in December or January in Baltimore. Maybe you're talking a Buffalo situation, right? You're going to need the run game because the passing game's not always there just due to the fact that it's either so cold, maybe it's snowing, maybe it's sleeting, and it's not always something you can count on. Whereas if there's one thing in this world you can count on, it's King Henry. You've seen him hand the football off. If either of you guys happen to have them on your fantasy team, if you don't, I'm sure you felt it when you played against him, right? Like the guys just put up crazy numbers all season long. Right now, if, if the, uh, the playoffs ended today, they would be um, in Baltimore uh, playing against the Ravens. Um, I don't know if that would be in Tennessee or if it would be in Baltimore, but either way, you're looking at a little bit chillier weather there. And now that the uh, entire league has got a book on what Lamar Jackson can do, yes, he's a factor, but I almost feel like Derrick Henry and his ability to run the football is even a little bit more of a impact when it comes to to that. Now, I know a lot of people would say, okay, well, then what if they just game plan right for Henry, right? Like you totally take him out of the picture. Tannehill showed us last year that he has the ability in pressure yeah. situations to put the team on his back when needed. If you're going into every single game thinking that RT is going to be able to get you out of a situation like, okay, maybe we got to step back and figure something else out. But if Derrick Henry can keep the momentum that he's had the last couple of weeks leading into the playoffs and you use RT when necessary, look, the receiving core of A.J. Brown and Corey Davis is just as potent, in my opinion, as the top two guys over in Pittsburgh. And the only thing that obviously I think Tyreek Hill brings to Patrick Mahomes is his speed. Nobody can keep up with that guy. But I do think the Titans have a really good shot of making it pretty far this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I love the Titans. I think they are a matchup nightmare. We're going to get in, we'll get more into some of these other wild card teams or like these in the hunt teams too, just in a second here. But I think we're going to learn a lot uh, about the Kansas City Chiefs this week because they're, they're at Tampa Bay and Tampa mm-hmm. Bay is built like the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have an aging quarterback with weapons all around them, a great defensive front, a very powerful defense. But we're going to see, too, because like you said, the, uh, the, t- the Titans are going to be a tough out. They were last year. This year, I mean, ee- <laughs> it's going to be a really fun playoff here, uh, playoffs in the AFC. We're going to have a really good time. And I guess with that, uh, we can make that transition to the in-the-hunt wild card uh, three, four seed conversation. Uh, Nick, I'll kick it to you. Uh, of the seven and three, six and four teams in the AFC, who who strikes you as a, a team that you're very impressed with, that, that you're intrigued by, or there, maybe there's a couple teams? Like, what what are you intrigued by, Nick? Yeah, so actually, so impressed, first off, um, would definitely be the first one that jumps off to me is the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Like, look at how they played the Chiefs twice. Like, they just, it happened to be Mahomes. Mahomes was Mahomes. And so that was was the difference between them being two and zero. With a little so, extra fuel, I I wonder how much the bus is circling the uh, the stadium there. Bro, Mahomes was thinking about in that final drive. But that's I, thought, I thought Mahomes was just going to absolutely crush them. I didn't mm-hmm. even think that I game was going to be close last night. It's true. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. So or two nights ago, but so so here's why the Raiders stand out to me. So when you look at the record. Versus teams five or above five hundred, okay. Browns are one and three. Miami's two and two. Indy's two and two. Tennessee's two and two. Baltimore's two and three. And then you have the Raiders at three and three. So just going off of that, they've played the most games, but also had the most wins against those teams above five hundred. Um, and then also, I think when you look at it, who they've got left, they still have the Falcons who just all of a sudden apparently fell apart. The Jets, um, Chargers, who just enjoy finding different ways to lose every week. Mm. And then the Broncos and the Dolphins as well. And so so to me, I think they jump out as a team just with their explosive wide receivers, Josh Jacobs, who can pound the ball, and then just how that defense has been playing. Like, I mean, we watched it. Bad weather game. They came to Cleveland, and they made us look soft. And we've dominated teams this year, like physically. And they just made us look small. So to me, I think the Raiders are a team um, that I would push ahead as like almost like a lock for making the playoffs. How about how about you, Hayden? Do you have like one that you would say is like a lock 
It's tough, man, because the, I feel like the the AFC is so wide open. And, of course, mm-hmm. like as Cleveland boys, your heart sings for the Browns, right? Like you want nothing more than to see six running down the field with either Kareem Hunt or Nick yes. Chubb, arms are flailing as they <laughs> head into the end zone to, to close out uh, or, or seal a playoff victory, man. But, like, my while my heart wants it, my head knows – you can't count on that, right? You can't count on it. And and to your point too, Nick, watching the way that the Raiders have played the Chiefs makes them such a vital option that you have to consider here, right? And so I think if you if I was a betting man and I had to throw some cash down, I think I would choose the Raiders. Yeah, just because sports is all about confidence and belief. And that whole team believes. Like John Gruden has those boys believe in that they can pull something off like something special this year. Yeah, I agree. And I also like to look at like strength of schedule moving forward too. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I actually think the Browns have a slight advantage in their strength of schedule to, to finish out the season. Isn't really that crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, when you go back to the momentum, I don't care if you're beating an Owen 16, eventually jets team. I think we all can agree that that's probably what's going to be the case, but, um, and you, and you absolutely slaughter them or you win a close game. Like that stuff matters. Like if you can roll over a team and get into the playoffs, you're feeling confident. If you win by a zero, zero second field goal kick that, uh, even though you get the dub, it has this like hangover feeling going into the playoffs that all of that stuff matters. And, and to people who actually do this for a living, I feel for you because how in the world do you go in there as confident as, as all get out on live TV and say, this team's going to make it and then know whether or not you're going to be wrong or right. It's, it's crazy to me, but yeah. yeah. Dave, you got a lot yeah. for us. Yeah, I do actually. And this is, it's going to be very interesting um, to hear you guys' thoughts on this, but you know, when I, when you look at the, the playoffs, you know, as, because I coach, one thing I look at when I look at a team is, is there an identity? Can I look at a roster and say, you know what? I know what this team does really well. This is what they, this is what they do. This is what they're going to try to do to you. This is what they're going to try to impose their will on by doing this. It, I, you're going to have to take this away from them in order to win. And I'm going to say there are two teams. There are two teams right now that I'm like, I don't see the identity. And that's the Dolphins with Tua and, and Fitzpatrick. I mean, you're really going to pull Tua in his first adverse situation against the Broncos on the road. I guess the Broncos are a battle-tested team, but, I mean, you're really going to pull Tua? I look at the Ravens. What's your identity? Greg Roman, what are you doing? You have a, a former league MVP at quarterback. And, hey, H, you just talked about it, man. Uh, the Browns strength of schedule, you win 10 games, you're in the playoffs. And – the, the Browns do one thing really well. Outside of running the football, they win games that they're supposed to do. Now, they may not win the big games, and they're going to still have to figure that step out. But, boy, when they're playing a team that they are better than, guess what they do? They win the football game. And they have the Jaguars, Giants, and Jets coming up. And a potential Week 17 Steelers are going to rest their starters. Browns are a 10 to 11 win football team. And that's just buying any crazy setbacks. You know, I, they've been battling adversity all year. And I look at the identity of the Cleveland Browns, and they all have taken on this identity of what Kevin Stefanski is, calm, poised. You know, each day matters. Let's, take to, let's not take today for granted. We're going to work hard. We're not going to think about the playoff picture. And we're going to take advantage of what we got. And they have – the Ravens at home on Monday Night Football. They got the Steelers at home the last week of the season. And, yeah, they got to go to Tennessee. Tennessee's defense isn't great, and they lost Clowney for a couple of weeks. So I think every game on their schedule, they can win. And I, yeah, definitely winnable. And I look at the Colts. They have a very tough schedule. Aaron. You talked about the Titans. The Titans could win that division at 10 games. The Colts could win nine games and just miss the playoffs. And then you have, like, a, a Ravens. Uh, Browns and and Raiders a uh, wild card and that's how I view it. I mean, I think the Browns are a lock. I'm calling the Browns as my lock right now. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so to back that, two one six baby. The Browns are actually the only team on this list that's undefeated versus teams under 500. Fact. Everyone else has a loss. But so Baltimore. Before we move on, Baltimore. Baltimore still has Dallas, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Jacksonville, the Giants, and Cincinnati without Burrow. So I think they have a very easy schedule left to help them get in as well. Yep. Um, 
but so let, let's just let's close off the AFC. One team that you think is just out. It's done for. They're not going to make this wild card. You got somebody off the top of your head, H? Like they're on the they're on the bubble, and I don't think they're going to make it. Yeah, or you're like saying they're like in this wild card mix, and they're just they're not going to make it. Um, look, man, I, I, nobody has a situation right now where you're in like the NFC East. You know what I mean? Where literally any any team can make it, and um, I'm, I'm, there's a bunch of teams that are like four and six right now that are are right there. The Broncos being one of them. The Patriots are the other, like the Patriots are a team that you normally always see turn it on. So I never want to count them out. So I think if I'm looking at like the top 10 teams in the, in the AFC right now, I'm, I'm probably going to say somebody like Denver. I know it's a super safe call and, and not a lot of people would, would give them a lot to be into the playoffs, mm-hmm. but um, I, I'm a huge Colin Coward fan. And I know he was even saying Drew Locke would be like a dark horse MVP this year. And, um, man, the expectations around the team just haven't been lived up for. So I'm going to put the cap on them. There's there's no way that they are able to squeak this out. Dave's the biggest Broncos fan you'll ever meet. <laughs> I, see the, I see the head in the back. Yeah, I, see, I see the horse's head in the back. That hurts. And for the record, I'm a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. I have family from Denver that I grew up watching the Broncos at a very young age. Back to, like, Brian Greasy. So I, I grew up watching the Broncos, and I, lo- I started loving them. But, you, you know, you're right about them. Their, their schedule doesn't get easier. They have a game against the Saints still. Uh, you know, they have some tough games coming up where it's not looking great for their schedule. They got the Saints and the Chiefs. You can't – I mean, they're not going to beat both of those teams. That's already eight losses right there. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Hey, how you doing? Keep it moving. You're out of the playoff picture. I think the Patriots are done. Even though uh, they're four and six, you got to win out. 10 wins gets you a wild card. If we're, if we're going to go off of one of the teams that's in the hunt that yeah. we're calling our shot that's done, I'm calling the Miami Dolphins done. I love the energy of what the, where this franchise is going. But mm-hmm. I, them losing to Denver took them out of that. Denver played, needed to win that one. They had to win that game. And Denver has the opportunity to do the same thing to the Raiders later this year. They, they, they just got stomped out in, in Las Vegas, but Denver always splits with the Raiders. So keep an eye out for that game in Denver. But, yes, I, the Dolphins, are, they're done, though. I, I think that one more loss takes them out of the picture. Or No, they're 6-4 and four right now. So, they, I mean, yeah. I think that they're going to have a couple more losses. And yeah, and I they still got with them still with their quarterback. And Yeah, they got Vegas, Buffalo, the Chiefs, and New England still. But that point, they went on that cute little three-game streak, you know, um, yeah. Cardinals. Chargers and um, Rams. But when you look at those three games, the Rams, they had two defensive special teams touchdowns. Cardinals, they had one. Chargers, they blocked the punt, returned it to the one. So in these games, basically, you have four defensive special teams touchdowns. Like, and you still, you lost to the Rams by, or you beat the Rams by 11, even though you had those two touchdowns. And one touchdown, like, Goff fumbled inside the 10. Yeah. Like, of the Dolphins. And so I'm looking at these games, and I was wondering, like, what are you going to do when your defense isn't getting you touchdowns? And you saw it. They lost to the Broncos. And then they pulled their quarterback. Like, yeah. after making that switch. Like, to me, it's just – it's not enough. You look at – they have their picks, the Texans' picks. Like, they're, they're up and coming for sure, though, next year. But this year, I think they're done. And I think Indianapolis is done. I think Indianapolis loses to Tennessee. Then you still have two Houston games, which is in a division, always tough. Um, yeah. You still have Pittsburgh and Vegas. I just – I don't know. I don't think Phillip Rivers is going to be able to get it done. Um, so Indianapolis and Miami, I think, are done. Quick point on the Finns. The only way that I think the Finns get in is if they somehow – the Bills fall off and they win their division, which I think is possible. Mm. It's only a one-game lead, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, the right now it's a toss-up Bills-Dolphins. And, look again, like you, you use the NFC East as an example, right? Like – in a scenario where just because you win your conference, you get to not only make the playoffs, but host a playoff game. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's very realistic that something happens crazy where, you know, the, I think the, the Bills and the Dolphins still play one more time, if I'm not mistaken, right? Do they, they have one more matchup or have they played twice yeah. already? So they have one more matchup. That game's going to be crucial. Hit me up after that game um, and, and we'll, we'll, I'll be able to, whether or not I can ax them. But I, I think it's going to come down to that one's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. All right. Hate it with the buzzer beater. Oh, Dave! Dave's trying to take the buzzer beater to end the first quarter. Yo, instant replay. Put some time more back on the clock. Let's do it. Hey, this is an untimed down right here. <laughs> um, uh-huh. No, I just wanted to touch real quick on that point you said about the Bills. 
if I'm, let's say, I, I said my three wild card teams at the end of the day are going to be Browns, Raiders, Ravens. I think those are going to be the three teams. Titans get in, Colts are out. If I'm those three wild card teams, of all the teams that are won their division, who do I lick the chops at? And it's Buffalo. You, Hayden, you, or you just touched on the point. I look at that defense, and I think I could run the football on them. And guess what the Browns, Raiders, and Ravens do? They run the football. So it's a great matchup. Love it. Love it. So good point. That was a good point by you. Yeah. For sure. But let's flip over now to the second quarter to the NFC. So the NFC, what we're going to see is a complete flip from the AFC. I think the powerhouses are wide open with the wild cards already kind of being locked. But let's see what you guys have to say. Dave, do you have an NFC powerhouse? Uh, I don't think there is a powerhouse in the NFC, but there's a leader in the ball club. And to okay. me, it's the, New Orleans, it's the New Orleans Saints. I think they have two games against the Falcons. They had, I mean, they just beat the Falcons. So they have the Broncos and the Falcons again. And so they have a game lead on the Rams right now for the number one seed. And Drew Brees is going to come back. So in my opinion, the fact that their defense is making so many plays, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, those guys are making plays, and they even got Jared Cook making plays, and Taysom Hill. I mean, I, I didn't think we would ever get to this point where we thought, oh, that was a very efficient game by Taysom Hill. And um, I know he was a great tight end on Sunday for those fantasy owners that started him. I but... lost because ESPN let him play at tight end. I lost by four, and my opponent went ahead to play Hunter Henry, who scored 10 less. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, but the Saints are the leaders in my book. They, they've beaten the Buccaneers twice, and not just beaten them. They've abused them. And the mm-hmm. only time – I mean, they got handled by the Raiders early in the season. But outside of that, I mean, I haven't been – ever too super worried about them as a team so nick how about you who who's, do you have a powerhouse in, in this well, i was i was going back and forth and i mean i like as we talked like all these teams just have like a huge glaring weakness but i think i'm actually gonna put the leader just as the rams right now for right now i'm gonna put the rams in the as the leader but hear me out though if drew Brees comes back and is actually healthy, then I would put that above them, especially with how that defense is playing. But for right now, the Rams have their quarterbacks. I don't think Taysom Hill will take them as deep in the playoffs, especially as teams start to get a little bit of film from him as a full game goes on. But so for right now, the Rams. We saw it last night with the Buccaneers. Buccaneers' biggest problem, pressure. If you can get pressure, they have Aaron Donald, okay? Back end, Jalen Ramsey. All right, then you even saw Fuller get two picks yeah. off Brady last night. Um, yeah. Last year, what happened to the Rams? We well, see they put all this money into Todd Gurley, who decided at 25 he's going to have arthritis in his knees, which is awful for him because dude's a dog. But like then kind of felt like, well, we just paid him. We kind of have to feed him, right? But now now that he's out of the picture, McVay gets to go back with his fresh backs. It doesn't matter who's getting the touches. He just gets to go off that. Goff looked sharp minus his dumb decision that he has every game. But, I mean, just Cup and Woods um, both clicking last night with him. Um, they seem to just be – they seem to be all in. Um, we've always thought McVay's a great coach. Um, not, and not that Sean Payton is not not saying that. But they just have that great coach as well that puts them in good spots offensively to capitalize in games. So, for me, Rams are the leader right now. Yeah, those are fair points. I think um, bits and pieces of uh, I agree with um, for the most part. But when it comes down to, again – having the mindset of like, okay, if I was to throw some cash down on somebody coming out of the NFC to go to the Super Bowl at the current moment, like who am I choosing? I think of like a couple of qualities, right? Like number one is been there, done that. Number two is, do you have a quarterback who's a leader? And number three is like, have you shown to this point already that you can overcome adversity? And to me, the number one team that does those three things really, really well are the Seattle Seahawks led by Russell Wilson um, I know, Nick, you talked about glaring, glaring, huge holes, right? And I think the defense of the Seahawks, that's no surprise there. Like when Jamal Adams plays, I think they're a lot better. So I'm praying that he stays healthy. Um, but to know that you have a guy like Russell Wilson on your team has got to be the like most confident of any other player that's on there that's not Russell Wilson, right? Like I'm thinking heading into any game that I play, if three is my QB, 
we got a shot to win this thing. If not, we're favored. And so not only that, but we've seen Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson get to the Super Bowl already. And I don't know if they were necessarily like the favorites or the pick to go that year either. Um, and we've already seen them come back from crazy um, gaps in the score to, to show that Russell has the ability to like overcome where the defense lacks in some cases. And for most of those games, Jamal um, didn't play. So I think if they can keep yeah. him healthy and again, hit that right momentum track that I've talked about throughout the show, I don't know what their strength of schedule looks like off the top of my head, but if they can string a couple wins together, get in, potentially have like a first round buy the, the Seahawks well-rested are, are a team that you don't want to mess with. Well, and don't sleep on that Carlos Dunlap addition yeah yeah. I saw I saw he had three sacks in the three games already um so so that like I mean you even saw it like just him against Kyler um how they were able to contain Kyler I think 15 rushing yards yeah 100 percent. and like you talk about how teams with these holes they're at least attempting to fix it right like I think a lot of these other teams are just trying to like sludge through the mud make it through this year to like figure out what I got to do in the off season to fill those where Seattle sees this window and they're like, no, we're going to hit that. Now we're going to go through it right now, picking up Dunlap, getting Jamal Adams in the off season, already knowing what is capable of Russell Wilson. And like, I remember a lot of the talk earlier on in the year was like, can we just give Wilson the reins and let him do his thing? And I really feel like this year they have, which is why they've seen them themselves overcome these like gaps in the score um, that they unfortunately find themselves in with, with the lack of defensive help. Um, But if, if they can get, I don't know, a touchdown from special teams, one game, or maybe the defense does play well, like you always know on the offensive ball, on the offensive side of the ball, like 9.9 out of 10 times, Russell Wilson's going to make the right play. He's going to create something when there isn't something. And he has the leadership capability to rally or make other people around him better, um, which I think the only other quarterback that I would potentially see that happening with would be Drew Brees if he comes back and Tom Brady maybe. Like Goff's good, but I don't know if he makes other people around him better. Yeah. Right? Like the playmakers on the Rams don't run through Goff, in my opinion. Uh, but the playmakers on the Buccaneers does run through Tom Brady. You look at the Saints now that Michael Thomas is back, like, I don't know, maybe he turns it on and, and they start rolling when Drew Brees sets the line too. But I don't know. I, I really like the Seahawks this year. Nah, I, no complaints there for me. I think when you look at, this is a kind of a good transition point right here. You look at the NFC and the cluster that, that there is, I, I, I guess the question becomes, with there not being a inconclusive, overwhelming number one threat, in the NFC, I guess who's the most dangerous? And it, and H, it sounds like you're you're talking about Seattle being that they're dangerous. You know, they woke up feeling dangerous. You know, like Baker says. So who, Nick? I, I'll ask you who who's the most dangerous team, or what what matchups are intriguing to you uh, so far that could potentially be going down in the NFC? Yeah, in the NFC, actually, the matchup that that I look for is. Is, is this Kyler Hopkins Hopkins pairing. What can they do just going forward this year? Like, I mean, even when we were what talking. What can't they do? What can't they do? Exactly. <laughs> Bro, I remember I just watched that Hail Mary live, and I just, like, my jaw just dropped. I'm 100%. like. And, and talking, talking to Dave before the season started, they were my pick from last to first. So, you know, I, I'm riding with them. Uh, but I think just – I love their pairing of Murray with Kingsbury. Love it. Um, and I, I want to see what that can do. I want to see how deep that can go. Or are we going to truly learn that it is experience? Like H made the great points of like been there, done that. Like I think this year we're really going to learn that of, of what this young pairing can do. Like as we see this, this young wave of quarterbacks starting to take over, like how much time do you really need? Or what's he going to be able to do? Like is the defense going to be able to step up, make some plays? Um, are they going to be able to have effective running games like with Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds, things like that? Are they going to be able to do more facets, things like that? So they're they're definitely my interesting team to watch going forward just because of how explosive Kyler can be. How about you, H? Um, look, <laughs> when you talk about most dangerous, the weapons that Tom Brady has that mm-hmm. he has never had in past years and has done with that Patriots team, I think – giving him a full season 
just get him in the playoffs and watch him do his thing. Like if there's one thing that's as sure as death and taxes, I feel like it's Tom Brady playing well in the freaking NFL playoffs, dude. Like throw Godwin, Gronkowski back, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and you can finally freaking get Leonard Fournette to do something running the football or is it Ronald Jones the third or something like that? I think is there is their other guy, right? Like yeah. he's never had this many weapons in a postseason before since like Way, way back in the day, I feel like when uh, they were just crushing everybody, right? The the biggest thing just comes down to chemistry and not having Bill Belichick. So you you think about like, oh, the chip on the shoulder of like, look, I got to show that I can do this without Belichick on top of I got all these weapons. I just got to get the chemistry right. I really don't see any scenario in which Tom doesn't at least win one or two playoff games as long as they get in. If the wheels fall off and they don't get in, that's one thing. But all you got to do is give the man a chance and he's you give the guy a mile and he's going to just take you across the United States, bro. I, re- I really think that they are, are going to be dangerous if they make it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that when you look at the Patriots, they just have so much talent. And one and, and sort of the Cardinals, it, it, the NFC has each team has their own niche. You're like, man, they're just gifted in that area. Like I look at teams like the Saints, they have such dominant one options like they you could argue they have the best receiver and the best running back you can art you look at the rams they have some of the best move the chains wide receivers in football when you have robert woods cooper cup and they run the football at a high clip then you have the packers who aaron Rodgers on any given day could discount double check you out of a playoff game and Devontae Devante adams is probably the best route running wide receiver in football and then you have the Eagles, who are clearly a dumpster fire, do not belong in the playoff picture whatsoever. We'll skip them. But you have the Seahawks, who are extremely explosive. Their defense is actually starting to play a little bit better. Bucks, obviously, are, we talked about the Bucks and the Cardinals. I think the one thing for me that's really intriguing is how each team has kryptonite. And, you know, nobody's a Superman, but each team has a kryptonite. And what I mean by that is, like the Buccaneers, they're kryptonite as teams that get pressure, as you guys said. So the Rams, the Saints, those teams are going to cause problems for the Bucs. But when they, if they played a team like the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Eagles, the Packers, teams that don't bring pressure, like at a high rate, up, especially up the middle, I, you know, they, they're probably going to win those games. It's as simple as that, but it's the same way with like the Packers. The Packers, I think, would be favorites in, you know, any team's going to be favored over the NFC East winner. But then you look at like teams like the Seahawks and the Cardinals, I would say the Packers are favorites because those teams don't look to specifically run the ball. And so mm-hmm. when you look at the Rams and the Saints they and the Bucks, they just big, they bully you inside at the offensive line and they can run the football. And that's what the Packers will struggle with. And I think that's the most intriguing part about the NFC. I mean, they're all going to beat up on each other and then get, jousted by Mahomes in the Super Bowl probably even though the Saints are my Super Bowl pick I, I kind of have to stick with it but man the NFC is just everybody's gonna beat up on each other and it's gonna be ugly I think but it'll be fun to watch this Sunday was so disappointing because I was coming in here I was gonna be so hot on and I was actually gonna back off the Cardinals and say the Vikings were gonna actually complete yeah. the comeback and get to the playoffs but then they go and lose to Dallas and I was just like, oh, my goodness, because I wanted Minnesota. And I think they still can because the Cardinals do still have two games against the Rams. So yes. they do start to play both those games, another division game with the 49ers and New England. But then they do get Philadelphia and the Giants. And Minnesota gets Carolina, Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, Chicago, New Orleans, and Detroit. So it would have been close, but I think that loss kind of just solidified that the teams we've already talked about, um, Chicago's one game back but they've lost four in a row. I don't think any of us believe in their offense. Um, I think the NFC teams are as like set as is now. It's just going to be about seeding and matchups and what could happen. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is like a super hot take or not, but Nick, I think that the Cowboys win over the Vikings is going to give them some momentum that they end up ultimately winning the division at five and 11 or whatever it takes to, to get it done. <laughs> I think the Cowboys are the best team in that division. They're not better than whoever would have gotten in had they not been there though. And that's the frustrating part, especially you look, you look at us as like 
Browns fans, right? There was a year back when Derek Anderson was quarterback. We went 10 and six oh. and didn't make the playoffs, dude. We didn't even make the playoffs. And because here, the Colts started Jim Sorgi. It's yeah. so frustrating, bro. It's so frustrating. And then like all of the other heartbreak that we've gone through over the course of our 20 plus years of living, right. To, to get to this point. And, and there's many other people who have had to feel it a lot longer than us that could even speak to this probably more so. And then you now you have a divisional race for an entire division that's won three games, and anybody at this point can not only get into the playoffs, but they can win and host a freaking playoff game, bro. They can host a playoff game. It just the the NFL's got to do something about this moving forward because in all reality, I don't. If Dak comes back next year, of course the Cowboys are like exponentially better. But like last year, it was the same scenario. Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott were sitting at like six and nine, six and 10, like battling it out to get in. You can't be five and 11, make the playoffs. Not only that, like if you want to make the playoffs, that's fine. But then maybe figure it out where if the, the team that wins their division has a losing record, the wild card team hosts the playoffs. Like, why can't we yeah, do something like yeah. simple like that? Right. To, to switch it up. It just, it's, it, and I'm sure a lot of it is just like stirred up feelings because I've seen myself be spited so much as a Browns fan. Now we're finally like seven and three and there's a potential possibility that we still don't make the playoffs because we have an undefeated team in our division. The Ravens up until last week were still above us. Like we're sitting at seven and three, six and three, and we were third in our division. And there's teams that have three wins leading theirs. So frustrating. You, you literally, yeah, he, you literally took the idea right out of my head. I I was literally going to say, I, I think a new proposal should go down where, yeah, you can still win the division at five games, but guess what? The fifth seed has the home game if they have a higher uh, win percent or if they have a higher win percentage than you. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like there's going to be times where you have a nine and seven team that wins a division, and then you have like a ten and six or eleven and five wild card. So I think it would be in a scenario where if you have a home or if you have a, a division winner that's under five hundred, I right. think that would be a fair rule. So if you had a seven and nine. Here's, and so you're talking about 2008. Here's what's so frustrating about that year. Not only did the Browns not get into the playoffs, but we had the eight and what was it? The eight and seven Denver Broncos against the eight or was it the eight and seven? No, seven and eight San Diego Chargers at the time. And if the Broncos win their division, they win it at nine and seven. They went to San Diego, Qualcomm Stadium, lose 52 to 21. Jay Cutler gets spanked like, you know, he usually did against the Chargers. And guess what? The division winner of that game was eight and eight. They hosted a playoff game against the Indianapolis Colts, and the Colts actually lost that game because of Darren Sproles. There goes Lightning Bug, that guy. So that's what's so frustrating. A 10 and 6 football team didn't make the playoffs that season. And it is heartbreaking to think about. I feel you. All right, guys, that's that's all for the second quarter. All right, well, now that halftime's over, we got our boy Noah Fisher back with us. Noah, how was getting the start? You know, it uh, was great. It's nice to run with the starters for a bit. I definitely miss my role chilling on the bench. Uh, there's nothing better than having courtside seats to a great game. Absolutely. That's, that's the bench captain philosophy. So, Dave, I kind of want to – we'll kick quarter three off talking about these Thanksgiving Day games. What what was one takeaway you had from these games? Well, very interesting. Uh, I just kind of realized this. The The winning teams of both games yesterday both scored 41 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main theme, I would say, that I took away, bad coaching – Guys, that was the one, that was okay. Mike McCarthy, bro. I was I remember when we were pushing so hard for Mike McCarthy to be in Cleveland because we wanted a, an experienced veteran head coach. If you saw what he did yesterday, running a fake punt from his own twenty-five yard line down four points. Here's what you're thinking: dumpster fire, and that's exactly where my mind went. And. Detroit's not much better. Their play calling was awful. They were running Adrian Peterson like crazy. They weren't getting any, you know, any rhythm on offense. So, I mean, bad coaching is the highlight of of these two games by Detroit and by um, Dallas. But you you see the good coaching and, and 
and from Washington, I know you're going to touch on Washington in a little bit, but yeah. even Houston, Romeo Cornell's got those guys rallying, you know, to try to at least finish the season respectable. Yeah, bro. So, like, kind of speaking with Houston before I get into get into Washington a little bit, what can what should Houston do? Like, what can Houston do? Where do they go from here? Like, do they keep Romeo Cornell? Like, they don't even have draft picks. Like, you can't lose Deshaun Watson. Like, this dude is as legit as they come. So, like, how do they build now around Deshaun Watson? Well, I think there's there's three things that Houston has to do. I think what, the first thing that they have to do is they have to get rid of some bad contracts. I, I, they have some questionable contracts on their roster right now, and I just try to find a way to move on from them, whether it's the trade market or you move on, just release them, find a way to – you know, you pay them a little bit and, and release them. So I, I would find a way to get rid of some guys that, okay, you don't need to be paying them that much. You know, get rid of them off your roster. Kind of start fresh a little bit. Second of mm-hmm. all, they need – their next head coach should not be Romeo Cornell, and it should be Eric Bieniemy, 100%. The reason being, look, every interim coach does well. It, like, or not everybody does well, but there are a lot of interim coaches that – that start hot and they do a good job, but it's because it's temporary and the league hasn't. So the second step is that Romeo Cornell should not be the head coach of Houston mm-hmm. going forward. He's a good interim coach because he kind of gives him a spark. It gives him a little bit of energy to finish the season with some pride, but Eric B should be the head coach going forward. You've seen what him and Andy Reid have been able to do together uh, in Kansas City for Patrick Mahomes. Imagine what they get a, a creative play caller for Deshaun Watson. It's just going to open things up a little bit more for that offense and a quarterback combination that the league just is starting to trend towards. I think that's what they need to do, And second of all. And third of all, they need to get a general manager that's going to be aggressive. I've been saying they should be going after John Dorsey because I think John Dorsey is very good at finding second, third, and fourth round picks and making them and, and and putting getting guys that are ready to go day one. So I, if I'm the Houston Texans, Dorsey, be enemy and go after go after uh, get some bad contracts off your off your roster and start building from the lines. Makes sense. It's going to be real interesting to see um, without that draft capital and that cap space that John Dorsey walked into Cleveland with. So I think it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting just to see if he can do it now, pretty much from the reverse side of things so for me my takeaway first first game was great uh, just fun to watch fun to watch Houston just kind of have fun on offense like they're having fun again but for me my main takeaway was definitely getting to watch Washington obviously they're they're playing for first right now now getting to go a half game up which which is wild like nobody would have ever predicted like going into this season that Washington was going to win the NFC East um, we thought, I, I think a lot, a lot of myself, like I thought Dallas was going to run away with it um, with Philly being a second, but they got a shot and it's going to sound super weird. I think they're, they're the most consistent. Like you've seen the highs and lows of both Dallas and Philly now this year. And um, those lows have been pretty low. Um, but when you look at it, like with Washington and having like a guy like Antonio Gibson, coming off now three touchdowns you look at how many touchdowns that's at least he's up to double digits now I want to say 11 I think I think 10 right now 10 okay mm-hmm. I couldn't remember which one was his ninth but so he's at 10 and I like the kid I like the kid starting the year I thought that was a great um, addition to the team for them um, just to compliment Barber and McKissick out of the backfield well you got that smart experienced Alex Smith he's not going to turn the ball over he's going to protect the ball but then you have that defense that defensive line that they get to build off of everything back from there, from there. And you have Rivera, the defensive coach. I mean, you even saw the defense, like, like you saw sweat, make that play, that pick six, just to be like, you know what? We're basically, we're knocking you out now. And so you have that. But then I think when you look at it, like you have Alex Smith, this comeback story, you have Ron Rivera battling cancer. Like you have these stories. Like, I feel like if I was playing for those two dudes, like I couldn't look at them and be like, I don't want to give my everything right now for these 60 minutes. But then also I think the biggest thing too, is like come playoffs. Like if they get there, like whoever wins the NFC East playing, they're playing for free. That's house money. Like you can't be the team that loses to them in the playoffs. But at this point, if they win the division at like six and 10, 
it's a free playoff game for them. They shouldn't be there, and they know it. So they get to play free, no pressure. They have these motivational stories, great defensive line, capable playmakers. I love McLaurin. Um, they, they need a second receiver to step up, be the solid number two there. Um, and I, I think if they can get that, I, I, I do think they'll take care of the NFC East, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but then also what stood out to me the most is, and I actually ended up seeing it on Twitter later, and I was so, I was so happy that I did, was just watching the small things Dwayne Haskins did on the sideline. And that shows just the extent of how much of a leader he can be getting benched. Like he can go sit on the bench, pow, just keep the headset on, like do all that. But like he's running when Alex Smith's knocked down, he's picking him up. He's high-fiving the defense, the special teams coming off the field. He goes on the field, high-fiving them, like hyping them up. I think they just have great leadership all the way down. All the players are buying in and they even get to watch now Dwayne Haskins. Like, you know what? This dude lost his job, but he's still playing motivated. He's still engaged. And I think it's a team that believes that this, that this division is theirs. And then on the other side of it for Dallas, I wrote, yikes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's all I have. True. I don't want to say that they're tanking because they're obviously not. But literally Dak Prescott and his injury absolutely changed the potential for the Dallas Cowboys this season. Like I feel like if he wasn't hurt, if he never got injured, they – the NFC East would look very different right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that was really interesting, too, uh, Noah, you were just kind of pointing out the, the leadership in, in Washington. I think if you look at the entire NFC East, even when Dak Prescott was there, though, there's only truly maybe one team that you feel really good about the head coach. If you really think about it, and that's Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera yeah. has been a model of consistency throughout his entire career. And I think that is just rubbing off on the rest of the football, uh, Washington football team. And I think right now, like you said, they should definitely deserve to be the winner of that division because they have an identity. They, they are going to run the football with Antonio Gibson. He had 20 carries, 115 yards, and three tutties last night. And they have Terry McLaurin on the outside. And their defensive line is ridiculous. So... Like you said, they should be the rightful champ of that division. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's quickly close out the third quarter. Just when I say this, when I say Raven Steelers, with where we're at now, Lamar having COVID, um, the game potentially getting canceled. Like, what, what, what's your, what are your quick thoughts when, when we talk about that? I mean, I'm still going to watch the game for sure. Because, uh, I mean, Pittsburgh being an undefeated team is just – very enjoyable to watch in the first place. Um, I think their offense, as you guys touched on it in the uh, second quarter, that their offense is great and their receiving core is ridiculous. But Lamar being out for Baltimore changes the game entirely. RG3 is not like that guy anymore. I've been looking forward to watching him play, but Baltimore will most likely get walloped. I'm interested to see what, what ramifications this plays, not on the league just in this game, but just going forward. Like if this game does get canceled, what do they shift around? How many games get moved around? Punishment? Like what kind of punishments should we be looking at? Also, does this now include the week 18? But then also more importantly, as they said, like if more games get canceled, this then allows the eighth playoff team to get in, which then also hurts the number one seed. So Pittsburgh could also then not get a bye in the playoffs. I mean, they've got absolutely shafted this regular season through having to deal with all of the COVID stuff with Tennessee yeah. and the stuff they had to deal with and getting their bye week basically taken away. And now they have to do the same thing with Baltimore and a primetime Thanksgiving game that I feel like most everyone was looking forward to because the other games on the slate weren't nearly as enticing. But, yeah, Pittsburgh got the short end of the stick on this season. Well, and you look at earlier on in, in the season, too, you had the San Francisco 49ers that had several players that were out because of the of COVID, and they had a lot of injuries, too, but they had a lot of uh, COVID-positive tests. They still had to play on Thursday. It was, I believe it was a Thursday night game against Green Bay in Green Bay. It just was not an ideal setup. So if I'm looking at the NFL right now, Where's the consistency? I need to see, I mean, and I'm saying this with, you know, hoping Lamar gets healthy and he recovers from COVID-19. 
they need to play this game still. I like they should not shut it down because other teams have had to suffer through it. And Pittsburgh, like you said, Noah, they this is the second time this would have happened to them with ten, the whole Tennessee situation, and it's not even their fault. Like Pittsburgh's been ready to go when they've been ready to go. So they the NFL needs to figure out a way how to handle this smoothly and everybody should have been preparing for this, you know? Yeah. Well, and like I said, my biggest thing though, is like, if they do go to the eight playoffs, no buys for team first round, like watch Pittsburgh then lose that too. But so as you guys know, um, the fourth quarters for starters and we're just bench captains. So that moves into our final segment of garbage time. So what we're going to do now is we're each going to end up drafting. It's going to be snake style. So it's going to be five picks. We're going to take our top point guards, and then we're gonna then we're gonna compare who has the best list. So we're gonna do this with whoever's birthday's coming up closest. They get the first pick. I got the number one pick. Yeah, so I'll go Noah, Dave, me, and then we'll snake back me, Dave, Noah. Yeah. Okay. Let's so I'm get it, gentlemen. I'm in a tough spot because I feel like we all have a consensus number one at this position. And it's pretty easy to say, uh, but with the number one pick in the point guard draft. I will be taking Magic Johnson. Oof. He was my number seven. That's crazy. Stop it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. With the number two pick in this point guard draft, Dave Sanford selects Isaiah Thomas from Detroit. Wow. Surprise, actually. I'm actually I'm surprised there, too. I, I can't argue it, though. Mm-hmm. All right, so three and four – I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Oscar Robertson, and then for four, I'm gonna take I'll take Steph. I'll take Steph Curry. Oh dang! Okay, all right. So with the fifth pick, I will be selecting John Stockton. Solid pick. His assist record is literally untouchable. I feel like I yeah. talk about it all the time. Yes, he is a stud. Okay, so, wow. Okay, so I got two picks back-to-back. Yep, you got six and seven. So, so this next pick, I'm going to go with Nick's boy, fellow Canadian Steve Nash. Hard to argue with him. And then I'm also going to take up my boy, CP3. Okay, and with the eighth pick in the point guard draft, I will be selecting Jason Kidd. All right, all right. So I got I got nine and ten. Ooh, buddy. Who do we want to go with here? All right, well, I'm gonna for sure I'm taking my boy AI. Are, are we cool with that? Yeah. I am oh, I didn't even... 100% okay. Yeah, I'm cool I'm with that. Ball handler on that 76 or That's what I thought. That but I wasn't sure. Then I gotta I gotta take I gotta take my boy D Rose too. Okay, Derek. All right. With my next pick in this draft, I am taking Tony Parker. I was trying to take him. He's got the hardware and everything to prove it. So my final two picks, I got him. First off, with my next pick, I'm going to take James Harden. Okay. Ooh. Just as that primary guy. Um Maybe I'll go against the grain a little bit from your comment point guard for my final pick. I'm going to take Gary Payton. Do we think that the James Harden is challenge worthy considering the fact that he really didn't start passing the ball till like two years ago? I, I'm I'm allowing it. I think he's the primary. We allowing he's the primary it. Primary ball here. I'm allowing it. Okay. All right. I'm just curious because I, I he's I mean he's very good at distributing, but I was just curious what your guys' thoughts were on that. Oh, you got both of your picks in. Okay, Gary Payton. Yep and James Harden. Yep. So I am going to throw – maybe this throws uh, everybody off a little bit. I'm going off, uh, off of somebody whose prime I'm really banking on here, and that's Penny Hardaway. I, Penny, when he was with the Magic, was an animal, so I'm taking Penny. Yeah. So that means I had the last pick. Guys, I had a sleeper pick that I was so proud of, or I literally go with the NBA logo. Like, are we really not about to pick the logo for our top 15 point guards? I mean, there's a lot of dudes from back then that I, like, don't know anything about, so it's hard for me to pick. Like, I couldn't pick Jerry or 
Kuzi or any of them. Well, yeah. Frazier, right. Nate Archibald. Here we, yeah. Here we go. All right. Before this pick comes out, okay, I'm giving you some numbers. All right? So for eight seasons, here's what this dude averaged. 19 and 10, 19 and 11, 19 and 10, 20 and 10, 21 and 10, 15 and 13, 21 and 9, 19 and 8. We're going with Darren Williams. Wow. Whoa. Okay. I like Darren. I had to wow. justify it with some stats for that eight-year period because he went out a little rough, you know, being on that Cavs team, you know. Cool. A, a brief Cavalier where nothing really spun on that. Wow. All right. So here's the recap. Nick, me, I have Oscar, Steph, AI, D Rose, Darren Williams. Dave, you have Jason Kidd, Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton, Tony Parker, Penny Hardaway. Noah, you have Magic, CP3, Steve Nash, James Harden, and Gary Payton. How we feel, boys? I love my five. I love it. Yeah, I'm liking my five, too. Let's rock and roll. All right. Might have to bring this one on 2K, see how they spend. (laughs) Yo, a 5v5v5, all point guards. That'd be dope. All right. That's all for Garbage Time. We're going to leave it up to you guys. We're going to put out a poll. Feel free to vote on who who ended up with the best starting five um, or just leave us your comments. Follow us at Bench Captain Pod. That's Captain Singular. We couldn't put captains because Twitter apparently has a 15-character username rule, so that's at Bench Captain Pod. Make sure you check it out. We'll, we re- release all links to that. We'll have some polls. We just want to interact with you guys. Um, so just stay tuned for what's coming up. We'll be releasing every Friday now, so stay tuned for what's coming next. And also, shout out honorary bench captain Hayden Dawson. It was awesome having him on. Um, always let us know if this is something that you're interested in being on. We're bench captains. We spread the love. We spread the energy. You want to be on the podcast, just let us know. And we'll make sure that we get you on featured in an episode to talk about some basketball or football. Yes, sir. Um, that's all for bench captains this week. <laughs>